Hey everyone, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's podcast. I hope that it encourages you and inspires you, and I hope that you have some community around you to talk through these truths and concepts with. If you don't have community like that, we would love to invite you to be a part of Restore. You can get all the information about our church at restoreaustin.org. We would love to see you soon at one of our Sunday gatherings, and we hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Just a few weeks after we canceled in-person gatherings and moved everything online due to COVID-19, I I preached a message about clinging to God's love in the midst of a pandemic. And during that message, I shared the then current statistics. Here's what I said. As of this morning, over 30,000 people around the world have died because of coronavirus and countless more will die as it continues to spread. Well, back then, Most of us had no idea that as of this morning, 133 days later, almost 700,000 people around the world have now died. 160,000 of those coming from our country alone. What I referred to as countless back in March has now become a frighteningly real number, a number that continues to climb. But you know that COVID isn't the only difficult challenge our world is currently facing. We continue to fight against inequality that many of our sisters and brothers are facing, especially those in the black community. Yemen is experiencing the worst humanitarian crisis in a generation. There was a devastating explosion in Lebanon and they're still trying to pick up the pieces as more than 100 have died and over 250,000 have found themselves without a home. And more than 30 million people in our country alone are unemployed right now. Today is the last Sunday in our unchanging series, which has been a five-week journey through the enduring character of God. Now, this final characteristic is kind of the logical culmination of all the rest of them. This morning, we're looking at God's omnipotence, the fact that he is all-powerful. But even though it's the logical culmination of all God's unchanging characteristic, it also is probably the most problematic one because it highlights this age-old question that every generation has grappled with. And that's simply this. If God has the power to stop bad things from happening, then why doesn't he? If God has the power to cure COVID-19, then why doesn't he? If he has the power to bring equity and equality to all people, then, then, then why doesn't he? If he has the power to bring peace and help to Yemen, then why doesn't he? If he has the power to prevent an explosion like the one that happened in Lebanon, then why doesn't he? If he has the power to give everyone a job, the ability to sustain themselves and their families, why doesn't he? If God is truly good and he really does have the power to do anything he wants, then why doesn't he rid the world of all evil, all bad things, and bring perfect love and peace to humanity? As with most big questions, we have been tempted to answer it with one of two kind of polar opposite explanations. Option one has traditionally been, well, God isn't actually all powerful. Now, please don't screenshot me with this under it and put it somewhere because that is not what I'm saying. But this is option one that a lot of people have gone with. Well, if he is good and, and he, he wants to stop these things, he, he doesn't, then he must not be able to. He must just not be all powerful. He'd like to stop the bad stuff, but he can't. Or maybe God isn't real at all. This is the dominant view of most atheists and agnostics. And I'll be honest with you, I, I understand why people believe this. 
I look at all of the brokenness and devastation in our world and I understand why people have a hard time believing in an all-powerful and all-benevolent God. But that's simply not the God who Christians have found their hope in for thousands of years. It's not the God revealed to us in scripture, most prominently through the person of Jesus Christ. So when many people of faith hear option one, they pendulum swing in God's defense to option two. And that is, no, 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 no. We're already living in God's perfect world. He is all powerful. He is all good. He is almighty. He's all knowing. He's all of the things that we've been talking about for five weeks. So the only explanation left is that we must already be living in God's ideal, perfect world. God is all powerful and he is all good. So this option says that everything happens exactly the way that God wants it to happen. Things that we think are evil are actually a result of God's direct action. We just don't understand. This particular view is fairly dominant in Christian circles. Sometimes it hides behind Christian cliches like, don't worry, God is on his throne and causes everything to happen according to his perfect will. I've said stuff like that. I'll be honest, I'm not sure I've ever truly believed it, but I've said it in hard moments when I'm experiencing a crisis or a loved one is experiencing a crisis. It just kind of comes out. The problem is that it simply can't be true because a God who not only allows but causes things like slavery, murder, human trafficking, and oppression is not a God consistent with scripture. Scripture teaches that God abhors these things. Jesus, God in the flesh, battled against these things, not promoted them. When an atheist tells me that they don't believe in a God who does evil, I tell them I don't believe in that God either. My God doesn't perpetrate evil, he defeats it. If you're talking about a God who kills and steals and hates and destroys, then I'm an atheist too. In fact, the Bible gives the description I just gave to Satan the one who kills and steals and destroys, not to God. So are we really left with only these two polar opposite options? Because I believe that both of these approaches are inconsistent with the reality that we're currently living in and incongruent with the God revealed to us in scripture. Do I believe God is all powerful? Absolutely. Do I believe God can do whatever he wants? You bet. But Do I believe this broken world we're living in right now is the result of God exerting that power and making everything happen exactly the way he wants it to? Absolutely not. I mean, look around. Turn on the news. Scroll through social media. When the opening chapters of the Bible describe God's ideal, perfect world in the Garden of Eden, does what we're living in even come close? No. No way. So what's the third option here? If God is truly all-powerful, but our current world is not God's ideal world, where does that leave us? Well, to answer that question, we have to go all the way back to that Garden of Eden I just mentioned. The opening chapters of the Old Testament tell us about God's creation of his perfect world. It was written in the language called Hebrew, and it has this Hebrew word that kind of came to define God's perfect world, and that word is shalom. For us, in English, shalom is loosely translated peace, but it's so much more than what we think of when we think of peace, because when we think of peace, we just think of like the absence of conflict. It's the opposite of war. 
But in scripture, shalom is so much more. It's abundant goodness in all things and between all things. You see, in the Garden of Eden, God, humanity, and creation are all living in that perfect shalom. But there's something else in the garden with them. Something called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Or you might know it better as the tree that bears the forbidden fruit. God tells the first humans, Adam and Eve, that they can eat from any tree in the garden except that one. Now, whether you have a ton of church background or none at all, you probably know what happened next. Adam and Eve are lied to by a talking serpent. They choose to eat the forbidden fruit. They turn their backs on God and God's perfect ideal world breaks. Was this God's plan? Did he secretly want Adam and Eve to disobey him so his perfect world would break? Was he using reverse psychology when he told them, don't eat of this tree because he, he actually really wanted them to eat of the tree? Of course not. When you hear it that way, it's obviously ridiculous. Could our all-powerful God have stopped Adam and Eve before they ate the fruit? Could he have killed the serpent? Could he have just not put the tree there from the very beginning? Absolutely yes, but he didn't. That's not how it happened. And so we find ourselves back where we started. God doesn't want the bad things to happen, and he is powerful enough to stop all the bad things from happening, but the bad things keep happening. Why? Because God lets us choose. God lets us choose. Just like the story of Adam and Eve, day after day, time after time, God places some of that power that he has into our hands and he lets us choose. Again, this doesn't mean that God isn't all powerful. He speaks and the world is formed. He breathes and life enters humanity's lungs. He overcomes evil and death by rising from the grave. He can do whatever he wants to do. There is nothing he cannot do. But God has chosen to place some of this power into the hands of humanity. God has chosen to let us choose. If you don't believe me, just take a look around the situation we currently find ourselves in. Does God force people to lie and steal and slave and murder? Does God set off bombs in Lebanon? Does he cause civil wars? Is he a part of oppressing people because of their skin color or bringing a disease that has killed 700,000 of his children? Certainly not. Brokenness permeates our world. We are so far from God's shalom-filled garden. But how did we get here? Because God led us here? No. Because God lets us choose. And yes, we've chosen poorly, like Adam and Eve, many times. Sometimes... We've done it so much that it seems like choosing brokenness is all we're really capable of. But I'm here to tell you that's not true. We have the power to choose good. Not because of our own strength, but because of our all-powerful God. You see, through his power, we have the power to bring shalom into this world that we've broken. 
This is the exact message that a pastor named Paul wrote to a church he helped start in Ephesus. It's in modern day Turkey. It's recorded in our Bibles in the New Testament book of Ephesians. You see, Paul started a number of churches all across the Near East after the resurrection of Jesus. But the church in Ephesus, it was one of the most difficult situations he ever faced. The book of Acts tells us that Paul was actually forced to leave Ephesus after a riot broke out and people were trying to kill him just for sharing the story of Jesus with the people there. It wasn't easy to be a Christian anywhere in the first century, but that was especially true in the city of Ephesus. A few years later, after he is forced to leave the city, Paul writes a letter back to them, back to that church in Ephesus that he helped start. And in the opening paragraphs, Paul encourages the Ephesian Christians with these words. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly asking God, the glorious father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. You see, Paul first reminds them of who they are. They are deeply loved by God. They are a part of his family. No matter what is going on around them, they can find hope and comfort in those facts. They are rich in Christ, even when they are not rich in wealth. They have been given hope that can carry them through whatever brokenness befalls them. Then, after he reminds them of who they are and how much God loves them, Paul tells them that they have been given access to God's power. It's an incredible text. I want to look at it with you. Verse 19. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, this is not power like the world thinks of it. Power that rules over people harshly or power that oppresses the powerless. No, no, no. God's power actually subverts worldly power. Because God's power is the kind that gives sight to the blind. It's the kind that gives food to the hungry and and water to the thirsty. It's the kind that welcomes immigrants and houses homeless. It's the kind that sets captives free. It's the kind that brings justice for the oppressed. God's power is the kind that raises the dead. It brings life where there is none. Paul tells us and tells these first century Christians and every follower of Jesus who would come after them that the same power, listen, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us through the Holy Spirit. The same power, God's power that raised Jesus from the dead, that did all those things I just discussed through Jesus when he was here on earth, that same power rests in us. But we still have a choice. Day in, day out, we still have a choice. We can choose to live life in our own power and continue to feed the brokenness around us or by faith, we can give, we can choose to trust the power of our omnipotent God who lives in us through his Holy Spirit. And y'all, if we choose that power, if we choose God's power, then we are able to be a part of fixing the brokenness instead of feeding it. 
We're able to bring shalom, abundant goodness in all things and between all things into this hurting world. This is our choice today and every day. But I also want to tell you and encourage you that this is our legacy For 2,000 years, Christians have been choosing to trust the power of God in them, and the results have been incredible. God has moved in power through his church family to bring hope and healing over and over and over and over again throughout history. There's a pastor named Brian Zond who wrote a book that was pretty life-changing for me back in 2014 called A Farewell to Mars. And it's all about Jesus' hope for shalom in our world and how he desires to, to use Christians to see it come about. In his book, Brian talks about this legacy that we have as Christians. How God quite literally reshaped societies through Jesus' followers, choosing to trust his power at work. I want to read a passage from it to you now because it captures this legacy we have and this mission we are called to be a part of better than than I ever could. It's gonna be on the screen so you can read along with me. Here's what he says. In the pre-Christian pagan world, what we now call atrocities were largely seen as simply the triumph of the strong over the weak, the way of nature, the way things ought to be. A world that had never seen a Christmas and never celebrated an Easter would still be a pagan world bereft of compassion for the poor, the sick, the weak, the marginalized, the victimized, the very people Jesus brings out of the shadows through his life and teaching. Jesus further establishes compassion as the way we are to relate to the weak and the suffering when he makes our treatment of them the criterion for the final judgment in the parable of the sheep and the goats. In that parable, Jesus famously said, as you did it to one of these least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus has taught us to see the sick, the poor, the prisoner, and the stranger as his brothers, as our brothers, as Jesus himself. And this is something entirely new. It was not something bequeathed to us by a pagan world. It was not something that a pagan world was capable of producing. You see, in the Genesis story, before he moved east of Eden and found human civilization, Cain cynically asked, am I my brother's keeper? This is how Cain justified himself before God. Cain obviously didn't think he was his brother's caregiver. Neither did Pharaoh or Caesar, the heirs of Cain's city. But in reconfiguring the world around love, I love that so much. In reconfiguring the world around love, instead of competition, Jesus answered Cain's question with a resounding yes. And then he said to us, and here are your brothers and sisters, take care of them. It is naive and historically unwarranted to think that this kind of compassion, care for those least able to contribute to the welfare of the community, would be regarded as a virtue without Jesus Christ. It simply is not true. To locate the origin of concern for human rights in something like the secular triumph of the French Revolution instead of the sacred triumph of Christ is a poor and pernicious reading of history. Jesus has saved the world from self-centered, brother-denying ethic witnessed in Cain, an ethic that viewed the helpless as undeserving of aid and unworthy of compassion. After all, it was followers of Jesus who pioneered such radical innovations as hospitals, orphanage, leprosariums, almshouses, relief for the poor, and public education. The idea that the world 
somehow or other would have arrived at an ethical worldview that could produce such charitable practices and institutions without Christ is an idea wholly lacking in evidence. He concludes by saying, I know of many St. Jude and St. James hospitals, orphanages, relief agencies, and the like, but I'm still looking for the niche hospital or the Voltaire children's home. My friends, this is our legacy. Entering into the broken parts of our world through the power of Christ and fixing them finding people, the broken people that our world has cast aside and loving them, leading the way to bring equality and abundant life to all people. This is who we are. This is who we've always been. But I'll be honest. Lately, it feels like we've done a lot more adding to the problem than fixing it. When it comes to fixing some of the major issues we're facing today, it seems like Christians are not just lagging behind, but sometimes going in the wrong direction altogether. When my friend Tasha Morrison was on our summer mixtape back in June, she said that when it comes to racial justice in our country, Christians should be the headlights illuminating the path toward equality. But instead, we have often been the taillights putting the brakes on any progress. Why is that? I think it's because we have become so obsessed with our own power that we've forsaken the power of God. I'm going to say that again. It's because we've become so obsessed with our own power that we have forsaken the power of God. We've forgotten that our, our power it only leads to, to pain and sin and brokenness. We've forgotten that only God's power, not ours, is the great hope of the world. Listen, I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian. Proudly, I proclaim that. I truly believe that Christians have something unique to offer our hurting world right now. We have the power of an omnipotent God working through us the kind that subverts worldly power through love and resurrection, the kind that brings hope and healing. But God has allowed us to choose. And my friends, there are only two options. We either trust in our power that feeds the brokenness or we trust in God's power that fixes the brokenness. That's it. You either trust in your own power and you just keep feeding that brokenness that exists or you start trusting in God's power and you see him through you start fixing the brokenness around you. I'm begging you, I'm exhorting you, I'm encouraging you, please choose God's power. Because I truly believe if Christians began choosing God's power instead of our own, the world would radically change. Like Brian Zahn said, we would reconfigure our world around love instead of around competition. We would see a revolution of love that leads us to treat everyone as God's image bearers and worthy of experiencing abundant shalom. That's our choice. Make the commitment right here, right now to choose to trust God's power and then watch how he uses you to bring shalom to the brokenness in your life and in your world around you. Let's pray. God, we are taken aback. I am taken aback by your power, by your greatness and by your goodness. 
I'm also taken aback that you created humanity, created us as your image bearers, not just because we look like you, but because we have been given this dominion, this power from you to choose God. We repent for the times so often that we have chosen to trust our own power. We lament the brokenness that it has caused. God, today, right now, and every day forevermore, we choose to trust you, your power. God, we are your humble servants. Work through us. Your scriptures say that you have given us this power in jars of clay so that this all-surpassing power and love and greatness, that everyone will know that it comes from you. It might come through us, but it comes from you, God. Like a, a huge light bulb, you fill us with your light in these broken jars and through our little cracks and crevices, your light pours out to this world around us. Make us bearers of your light, bringers of shalom wherever we go as we trust in your power to do what only it can. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got one more thing to share with you before we finish up our gathering by singing together. Do you know what's crazy about all this? What's crazy about this idea of trusting in God's power and, and, and seeing what would happen? If we did it, if we chose to live our lives trusting in God's power, our lives would look like Jesus's life looked. Because being fully God and fully man, he lived in complete reliance on the power of God working in him and through him. And, and, and you saw, we saw, the world saw what happened. Did you know that that's what the word Christian means? Little Christ. Uh, carbon copies of Jesus. That's what we call ourselves. If we will choose to live our lives trusting in God's power, our lives will look like Jesus's life. And that's why on August 23rd, we are starting something called a year in the life of Jesus. Throughout all of next fall and spring, starting from his scandalous birth to his resurrection from the dead, we will be taking a journey through the life of Jesus. Looking back at how his birth and his life fulfilled so many Old Testament prophecies, looking forward to what his life in us will do for centuries to come. It is going to be nothing short of a life-changing year. I truly believe that. Because if we are going to call ourselves Christians, little Christs, then we need to know what that looks like, what his life was like. If we're going to call ourselves disciples, the ones who follow in his footsteps, we need to know where he walked, what he did. So that's two weeks from today. Not next Sunday. Next Sunday is our drive-through serve day, our lively serve day. And then one week after that, is our year in the life of Jesus kickoff. I cannot wait to start that journey with you in two weeks. We're gonna have a lot more really cool stuff that you're gonna be able to sign up for. We're gonna give you to be able to supplement this year as you walk through it, as we walk through it together. I'm gonna send it back to Matt, Taylor, and Evan to wrap us up with worship.